Gone are the taboo days of pot. As cannabis becomes increasingly celebrated, understood, and legal, it's still a long way from eradicating the stigmas created from years of misinformation. We're investigating facts, cutting through fiction, exploring medical solutions, and sharing the stories of the people making it all possible on the Cultured Cannabis Podcast. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce. Welcome to the Cultured Cannabis Podcast. Today I'm joined by Ardell Romez, Chief of Staff at Old Pal. Ardell, thank you for being here, brother. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. No, it's uh, So we met at um, the Flower Ball, right? Uh, fashion show. Shout out to 1937. It, <laughs> absolutely. And you had uh, Old Pal there, and you were there, you know, uh, introducing the brand to the community. Obviously, cannabis is still fairly new here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but originally, you're you're from California, and you were out here for school, right? So this mm-hmm. is kind of your old stomping grounds. It is. It's, uh, I always tell people I was super excited when I left Illinois to get back here um, for cannabis purposes. There's no guarantee it was going to happen. But, you know, if you put it out there in the world, usually the good things can come back to you. So Absolutely. And, and you know, when it comes to cannabis, uh, everybody's new in the industry, right? And, and it's not something that, I mean, if you were doing it before, you weren't doing it legally. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> so there, there is still that possibility. But for most of us, you know, that, that we're in the industry or in some level that um, it's not like this was something that was always available. It's not that we didn't have a clear understanding mm-hmm. of what it was going to look like in the future. But here we are. Uh, your path took you through politics first, right? Yep. Tell me a little bit about that and just how you got uh, what yeah. you were doing before this and what drew you to the industry. Yeah. I mean, I think my passion always, first and foremost, will always be like of like service I think is like you know what I always care about you know politics or something that goes within that but you know growing up I think that originally looking back at it when I like people are like oh why'd you do politics I'm like well I think that was very fortunate growing up you don't really choose the neighborhood you're born into the family you're born into I was blessed enough to go to like great schools live in great neighborhoods but then also realizing like whether that was like family being cousins or, you know, looking 10 miles down the road in like East Oakland, seeing the level of education and like just the disparity. It really just irked me realizing that like I have this quality education for free public school granted, you know, paid for by property taxes. So higher property taxes, better schools. But realizing like those kids aren't given the same opportunities who look just like me. So that's why I studied political science in school. In college at Loyola University, Chicago, go Ramblers. Um, and one thing that I didn't realize when I first moved to Chicago was it's probably the most political city outside of D.C. And the opportunities are kind of endless. And what makes Loyola unique, pretty much everybody who serves in a form of Illinois politics, whether at the municipal level or the state level, went to Loyola. Like mm, literally yeah. everyone in leadership, whether that be or they went there for law school or they went there for undergrad. So like the connections through Loyola kind of helped me navigate the Illinois political world pretty quickly. Um, And then upon graduating, I moved down to Springfield, um, which in itself was an interesting experience living in, you know, coming from the Bay Area, living in Chicago, and then going to somewhat small town America. Um, It's very small town. (laughs) Very small town. But down there, it's like the big city. (laughs) No, right. right. (laughs) Um, And I worked for the former uh, Senate president, uh, John Cullerton, who has since since retired. Um, And I was a policy budget analyst. And... I always tell people at this time, we still had Bruce Rauner as the governor. And this is, people forget, at the time, we didn't pass a budget for like two years. So Illinois essentially was living on a credit card. Um, the, the session before that, Republicans and Democrats came together to override the governor's veto on the budget so we could actually like fund the state. Wow. So when I came in, I'm this like 22-year-old guy. Granted, most of these kids start as an internship when they start there, and I kind of had a connection or two to kind of 
get right in there. And I got thrown into the fire. I had, you know, as a public policy budget analyst, you work with all the um, Senate Democrats on various issues and you work on budgetary issues. So I had four state universities where I was working with their president on behalf of the Senate Dems. And then they're asking, like, we need X amount appropriated for us. Uh, for this upcoming uh, fiscal year. Mind you, they got $0 for two straight years. So you could imagine if you're expecting, you know, $50 million from the state of Illinois every year, but you don't get that for two years, the budget deficit is going to be insane. Right. Um, so we got to work on that. And that was really cool because, again, higher ed and education is really important to me. And some of the universities I worked with were Western Illinois, Governor State, Northeastern University, um, and Southern Illinois. So it was really cool to kind of get those, like, relationships built within that. And then I also was the um, lead staffer for the financial institutions committee. So essentially all the banks uh, that are in Illinois, uh, we worked with them a lot. Uh, Fifth third bank, we actually like held their feet to the fire for some of their um, practices that were uh, a bit uh, scrupulous, scrupulous in certain uh, black and brown communities, shall we say? Oh, wow. Um, And it was kind of interesting. So they used to have what we call like gel like doors, you know, where you like go in a door, it locks in, you wait, and then they unlock it for you. But they only had these in like the black and brown communities, and their excuse was there's um, is more dangerous. But the actual studies showed that no one was actually robbing those stores. They were robbing actually all the stores in the nicer neighborhoods where they didn't have the gel like doors. Long story short, we got those taken off. Um, and then to sum up the story, then I also did affordable housing committee, which was really cool. Shout out Senator Maddie Hunter. Um, she was incredible, like a great mentor for me at the time when I was working there. And essentially, we were trying to figure out how we can bring rent control to Illinois. Um, we didn't actually pass anything, but we got to you know hold hearings throughout the state and kind of really hear on the ground uh, what's going on here. Because, you know, someone in Chicago is much different than someone who lives in Rockford, Illinois, right. than someone who lives in East St. Louis. So it was just really interesting to see kind of the wealth disparity that exists even within this own state. When it's like, if you come from San Francisco or New York and you look at Chicago, Chicago still is a super affordable city. But if you live in East St. Louis or Rockford, Chicago is expensive. So it was just interesting seeing those things. Um, but to be honest with you, politics, as much as I love it, it wasn't paying enough, <laughs> one, <laughs> and two, you know, I, I think that I was really wanting to get back to California. Yeah. Being from California, you know, missing just family. Obviously, the weather is much better. <laughs> um, but I didn't plan on leaving, per se. I uh, I had some opportunities with the new governor who was coming at the time. Obviously, now Governor J.B. Pritzker. Um, but I got an opportunity from a friend of a friend. He was like, move to L.A. I was like, ha-ha, like, find me a job. He's like, oh, come work for Old Pal. I'm like, again, ha-ha. Mind you, at the time, Opal had been around for maybe like four or five months. Mm. He's telling me these crazy numbers they're doing. And they're only in California at the time. And again, I'm like, ha ha. Like, okay. Um, so November of 2018, Thanksgiving, I was in the Bay Area with family. They flew me down for the day. Uh, met our CEO slash co-founder, Rusty. And honestly, immediately, like the synergy was just like immediate. Like, one, he's just like a good dude. But also, like, it was just I understood the vision, like, off the rip, like immediately. And um, about like a week or two later, they gave me a job offer. Then I quit my job <laughs> and on like a Thursday, packed all my bags, hopped on a one-way flight to LA, didn't have an apartment yet, wow. stayed at a buddy's house. Um, and then it's kind of how the world works. Within like three days, the first apartment I see, um, I ended up moving in there. I still live there. <laughs> Um, so, and here we are almost five years later, um, and 11 states later, the old pals in now and we're still moving and grooving. So it's 
I, I it's interesting how the world works and you just got to trust the process even when it doesn't seem like it's meant to be. Absolutely. And I was going to ask you on that, you know, in terms of the the process itself, because as you, you know, just talking about your upbringing and, and, and what you saw that led you to even want to be in politics and your heart to, to really serve others and especially understanding you know, the privilege that, that you were mm-hmm. given growing up in the areas that you grew up in the systems of school mm-hmm. you grew up and, and, and wanting to see that, um, you know, be available to others, right? And especially people that look like you and, and maybe don't have the same opportunities, right? What What is the biggest takeaway when you think about the, the journey, that, that, that process that you went on when, you know, you're focused on one thing and you're seeing something, you're going through it. And honestly, it sounds like you were heading on a path towards probably a lot of political success, right, yeah. in that regard. But for you to make that change, you know, what what is it that, know, stuck out to you, what's important, you know, that you could share when it comes to wanting to make an impact, because it seems like you still have that heart to do that, it's just in a different capacity, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was the biggest takeaway in, in saying, you know, I have my heart here, but like, this is calling to me now. And, and a lot of people go through that, but they just stay stuck in the same Yeah. Place. Honestly, just my gut, to be honest with you, man. Like, I've always been someone who trusts their gut, and it's never really failed me thus far. Like, knock on wood that it won't but like truly i have been i you know i prayed i was like lead me in this right direction but i just it felt right like i don't there's a feeling that you just feel and when you know that something's right you do it yeah. it could have blew up in my face for all i knew right um but i just trusted that that synergy that i felt with him was like it's real yeah and i wasn't wrong yeah. um but i think you know what i would my advice to people in that sense would just be like even if you do fail, we're only young once and you're going to regret not taking that opportunity. So don't stay in a place just because it's comfortable. The uncomfortable, sometimes you need to do the uncomfortable to get to like the next level. One of my bestest friends in L.A., he moved there for weed to work in weed, ended up not working out. But he was really good at like doing like marketing through a video, things of that nature. And now he works for one of the top sports marketing firms in L.A. Has nothing to do with cannabis. But him just getting out to L.A. and putting himself in the position to have those opportunities has ultimately changed his life. So I think just like being willing to risk things but betting on yourself, because if you're able to put yourself in those situations, eventually someone will notice you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, for you growing up in cannabis, it was not something that, or I say growing up, the kind of context was, yep. it wasn't stigmatized for you. You didn't have nah. that, that negativity. Both my parents you. smoke weed. A lot of my family smokes weed. Honestly, I started smoking with my dad when I was like 16. Um, I, I always tell people, like, one thing my dad told me when I was young, on my 16th birthday, I'll never forget it. Him and his girlfriend at the time, they came back to the apartment. And he was like, hey, like, they called it Joe. Don't ask me why, but they called it Joe. He's like, trying to smoke some Joe? I thought it was a setup. I was like, no, I don't smoke weed, dude. Like, no. And he's like, no, it's fine. Like, we should, you're 16 now. We can smoke together. And he's like, honestly, it's just like, you know, if you're going to get weed, get it from me. Don't do any other drugs. If you're going to drink, call me to pick you up. Don't drink and drive. And, like, having... A, he trusted me. Also, I don't. I didn't. I don't get in trouble. I wasn't out here in the streets doing dumb things. So, like, I think that having the trust factor one from like the parents, but then also like them destigmatizing it for me, letting me know that like cannabis can be used in a cool way to enhance different things, made it more acceptable for me. When at least some of my other friends, you know, their parents are so, oh, you're a smuggler, you're such a bad kid, and then they get to college and they go off the rails doing all these other crazy <laughs> right. things. Because, like, they, their parents sheltered them so much. And don't get me wrong. However you want to parent your kids, it's up to you. But, like, 
one thing I'm really I love to see is within cannabis, we have a few ladies on our team who are moms and they've destigmatized cannabis with their own kids. Like they teach their kids, they have a couple plants in their backyard teaching their kids how to grow these plants. You know, I think about as a kid, I would have a glass of wine with like diluted with water. My parents, the reason I love wine so much, they made it acceptable to me to let me know that, like, you can do this in a cool way. You look in Europe, you look in Italy right. and France, these kids are drinking wine at a young age, but they don't turn into alcoholics because their parents teach them the benefits of these things and how you can do it socially. And I have that same concept with weed on my end. And now as I get older, you know, you go to Thanksgiving, Christmas, I'm the one who's supplying the weed for the whole family. We're getting, we're having a great time playing games. And that's just like such a beautiful moment to better like break down that barrier because weed does make you a little bit looser. So like I always tell people, you get the chance to smoke with your parents, just like do it because it breaks down a barrier that you that has always existed. And you get to just have conversations that unfortunately wouldn't have been possible without Absolutely. a little bit of an answer. No, and, and, and you know, the, the, using that word stigma and destigmatizing, you know, that's really a lot of what, um, you know, for our podcast is really mm-hmm. important, our community. You know, and it's also seeing it as the, I know you mentioned, you know, you're not a doctor, so put yeah. that out there, right? Yeah, it's not, yeah. About not a doctor. The, not a doctor. And, and I think, but for you and me both, we see something that um, I didn't start smoking until much later on. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was being an insomniac, you know, not being able to sleep at all, being super hyper, but not being able to focus on anything, you know, being prescribed ADHD medications and just feeling like a zombie and Mm -hmm. lifeless and all that. Right. But then all of a sudden discover this and you see all the benefits like where it helps me work. It helps me do it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not it's not crippling to me. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. You know, for you, what was it that you noticed that um, enhances your life in this way? Like you said, that that you could speak to. Yeah. Similar to you, like I am just hyperactive always have been even as a little kid yeah. i just always have always had energy just i i don't know where it, where it comes from i just always had energy and honestly i always tell you like weed keeps me sane like truly it, like brings me back down to like a level playing field like i'm probably up here most of the time but like weed just makes me a little bit more mellow where i just like not running a million times an hour yeah um but yeah, no, I, I, and again, it's different for everybody. And I always tell people this, I'm not a doctor. I'm just speaking on how it affects Ardell and the benefits I get from it. But for me, it's just like, it really just like levels things out for me. And, you know, it's not like, you know, if I know that I have to be like, I know I have an important investor meeting or something like that, like I'm probably not going to get high before it. Right. Cause I do know that like sometimes, you know, I might not be on my, like my P's and Q's if I'm super high, but at the same time, if I know that, like, I need to be figuring out something creatively, oh, best believe that, like, I'm going to, like, smoke a joint and I'm coming out of that, like, oh, wow, like, X, Y, and Z, let's do this, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, like, you got to know, and that's a bit of a trial and error, you know? You have to know, like, what works better for you, what doesn't. Um, but I think, and I, I haven't mastered it by any means. To this day, I go to weed events all over the country. I think I know when's enough, but it never fails. You'll do that one extra dab or that one extra hit. And you're like, okay, I don't want to talk to anybody. Leave me alone. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a balance for sure. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's so different than when you, you know, you're hearing about these things of kids going to college and you make mm-hmm. the first thing I think of is alcohol, mm-hmm. right? And that, and that when you do too much alcohol, it isn't just leave me alone. It could be very catastrophic. It could literally kill you. And that's what irks me more than anything is, you know, this is the whole thing in California, California sober. Love it. You know, uh, and for people who don't know what California sober is, people who they essentially just smoke weed or microdose mushrooms, nothing else. Um, they don't drink. They don't do other drugs. Um, but 
it is funny to me, even like looking back at like college, even friends to this day who like don't smoke weed, but they do, you know, they do a shit ton of cocaine. They drink. I'm like, dude, like, but like, oh, bro, you're like a stoner. I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm <laughs> a pretty really? productive stoner. And like, I'm also not like slowly killing myself. Right. So it, it is, it is interesting. But I think also a lot of that is just like upbringing, right? Environments. Um, I think all that, how you're nurtured will kind of, the people you hang out with, you know, will kind of make that either make it easier for you or make it less easy for you, you know? And I was also, I grew up in the Bay Area, like full context, most progressive area in the whole country. Like literally the district, the congressional district I grew up in, shout out Barbara Lee, I actually interned for her in DC, first uh, year in college, um, also running for Senate um, in California. But she's like by far the most progressive member of Congress, actually the only member of Congress who voted against the Iraq war in 2002. The <laughs> only member of Congress who had the cojones to literally vote against it. Wow. So with that being said, I grew up in literally the most progressive area. So cannabis has always been around there. I couldn't have said, if I grew up in like Alabama, right? Right. It might be a little different, right? I, I remember getting pulled over in, co- in school, in high school, you know, mind you, I'm a black guy in a car that we were hotboxing. <laughs> the police pulls us over. They literally called our parents to pick us up. Wow. That doesn't happen. If I'm in Chicago in 2010, that's not happening. No. I'm taking my ass to jail. Yeah. So I, I always have to have that context that like if I didn't grow up in the area that I grew up, I'm not quite sure I would be. I wouldn't. I know for sure. I wouldn't be the person I am. And I, I for sure wouldn't have been able to kind of navigate the world as I've navigated it thus far. But it also shows you that. And, and that's the thing that I find most. And not to get into too much of the politics of it, because, you know, uh, what we were talking, you have some Mexican in you mm-hmm. and your family and, mm-hmm. your, and, and, and your lineage, you know, but how, how I understood it being Mexican and that was, was put to me that it was cannabis was always a political thing that had nothing to do with the plan. No one cared about the benefits. Mm-hmm. It was a way to tie it to a group of individuals that people didn't want here. Right. Yeah. And, and you see that, but you're almost this living testament to what the, the I see now is it's, it's tough to make the argument for why it was kept illegal for so long. When you start to see that in the legalization of it, the, the fears never. We know why it was kept. It's, no, of I course. Because they <laughs> black and brown people. hundred percent. And they, at the end of the day, they would do anything to continue to oppress us, which is why we see there's still <laughs> thousands of people still sitting in jail for selling this plant. Right. So right. I, I think it goes back to even when you look at like the 40s. And when they had those commercials and they filmed as like the crazy Mexican, he's getting high. He's like, so, I mean, at the end of the day, we're in America. Let's not let's not sugarcoat it. America is what it is. America, we our biggest sin will always be race. And we're going to continue to do things, whether we like it or not, that are going to do things based off of race to oppress other people. And even within the cannabis industry, it's a very white male dominated industry. There's not many people of color at all who are in leadership positions, let alone own their own companies, right? Absolutely. So like even within that, within this industry, it's still those same issues permeate. I do think it's the only industry where you're seeing it change and people are being forced to, to an extent with social equity, like our partner in Illinois is 1937. They're a social equity brand. Um, Ambrose, who is the chairman and CEO of 1937, he comes from a very interesting background um, on some of these things where, you know, living in Chicago, being shot at, things of that nature. But now he's in a position to bring more people in, to give them opportunities to create wealth of their own. And I think that's just so important. Like, 
and this and this plant does give us that opportunity. You know, I always say like I jokingly say like cannabis is like black and brown's way of getting um, of getting uh, reparations. Yeah, and in a way, it's like probably the only <laughs> the only industry where you're going to see states in the federal government force black and brown people to have a seat at the table. There's no other industry where that exists, mm. where you're like, they're writing into law that X amount have to be, have to have a seat at the table. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you kind of answered my question in that, but it's also just from a personal note, you know, how do you see your involvement in being a black man in the industry? Not only that, but you're, you're traveling, what, 12, 13 states? We're right? in 12 states now. 12 states, yeah. You know, how are you seeing your story and everything you're saying? Because you're right. You know, you're, you're in California. You get pulled over. You, your parents get called anywhere else in the country. I mean, even here, like, you know, Chicago, if you go mm-hmm. up to uh, Wisconsin, the minute you cross the border, it's, you know, $10,000 fine, you know, first six months in prison you know, yeah. for stuff that you're buying legally. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so how does that your, your narrative help really change that? that acceptance of cannabis how, you know, because now, like I said, it's tough to argue that after three years here in Illinois and you see, you know, crime didn't go up because of cannabis and these things that cannabis isn't negatively affecting anything that people mm-hmm. were concerned about. Mm-hmm. Right. How, how do you personally see that the way that you, your experience with it for so long for your whole life really, yeah, yeah. but has, has, has influenced those people to change their minds about the plan itself. Uh, I think more than anything, money. <laughs> The end of the day, money talks. <laughs> All these states are getting hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue. The end of the day, I don't. I always I use the example like Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Oklahoma is one of the most red states in America, but they have some of the and some medicinal states too. They have some of the most lax legal laws when it comes to weed on planet Earth. Really? Oh yeah, Oklahoma twenty one hundred dollars you get a license. Granted, it's kind of screwed up there. Um, the business aspect of it because there's too many people who have businesses. Everyone's failing. But all that to be said is that. Republicans also like money. So if there's a way to make money off of this plant, you're going to do that. So I, w- I would say, number one, more than anything, it's just, it's a, it is a cash cow. Let's not like sugarcoat that. that. You can make a lot of money as a state, as a business. You look at in Illinois, right? They had for the first two years, which I actually pisses me off. But the first two years, it was what, five or six MSOs who owned the whole market. They had it grandfathered in when the law was written for legalized cannabis and no one else to get a license for the first two years, the first two years. What? So like, it, it, let's not let's not play the games here. Like, then it all comes down to money. So more than anything, that's why it's going to continue to grow. People want money, which still blows my mind. Places like Texas and Florida haven't legalized. I'm like, y'all, y'all are missing out on, for Texas and Florida standpoint, over a billion dollars in tax revenue a year. And, and what do you think the biggest reason for that? Why, why are they so you know stubborn when it comes to that? Uh, black and brown. But that's that's. Black and brown. Yeah. At the end of the day, who smokes weed in their eyes? Do you, do you but do you think that's even true anymore? Yeah. Still? Still more a black and brown thing? 100%. I think it's becoming more destigmatized. Like, for example, the largest demographic in cannabis, well, not the largest, but one of the, let me rephrase that, the fastest growing demographic is the people 65 plus, the boomers. <laughs> right, right. And right. the second most is that 40 to 60 year old white woman. Who used to, you know, have their martini every night, take their Xanax, and the doctor's like, you're going to die soon if you keep this up. So they found cannabis as a great alternative as an after work or after they put the kids down to enjoy themselves. So I think as that continues to change and more people are able to talk about it and, like, tell their friends and tell their friends, then, yes, it's going to continue to change. But in the if you ask me today why the issue still exists— is because people look at it as like, 
oh, just the lazy black and brown person who's sucking off the government nipple. Right. Which is, which is ironic, though, because thinking about it, like, if, it's not that I disagree with you, right? And it's, I think it, it is a generational thing. So mm-hmm. people in our generation that, you know, black and brown, but then I think about the, the you know, Latina moms and, mm-hmm. you know, and they're totally against it, right? It's well, not that's even more, like, I think that's more like, because I think the, about that all the time, and yeah. that tends to be more like, Immigrant. Religion, oh, no, religion. like religion. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like a lot of Hispanics are very Catholic, yeah. and like the old school, like they're old school Catholics. Same reason that they're like extremely pro life. Like it's just like that that old school nature. One of my bestest friends, we go to Guadalajara all the time. His mom, it, he smokes weed every day. I'm like, dude, your mom knows now, dude. Like she, right, she's right, not right. stupid, but you're also you have your shit together. You've graduated law school. You have a, an unbelievable job. So like, I think as more and more people who are successful are openly talking about their cannabis use and how it affects them and how it benefits them, it's only going to make it easier for everyone else. It's the same way that, like, you know, the entrepreneur, the wealthy person talks about their their best whiskey, their best tequila, right, right, their right. super expensive bottle of wine they have. Well, I'm going to tell you about this unbelievable expensive strain that I have right. that is exclusive, right? Like, so I, I do think long-term we're going to, it's only going to get more destigmatized. De- yeah, yeah. But in the short term, I do think we have to do more work to get those gains. And I was asking about that too, because you spent a lot of time with Guadalajara, right? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, so, and, and this is the thing I noticed about Mexico, like when I would go, and, and this has also been several years, but you know, in, where I'm from in, in San Luis Potosí, that uh, no one smokes weed. Like yeah. it's hard, it's like, oh, you know, gotta get it for Tony, because he's coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, What's <laughs> funny is, so one, Mexico, the Supreme Court has decriminalized cannabis. Okay. So I've actually got caught with cannabis a couple times. They just take it away. Like, no big deal. I mean, unless you have, like, a pound, then yes, sure. And are you finding actually good cannabis there? Yes and no. So I would say I'm from California. Right. We have the best cannabis in the world. Right, right. The cannabis in Mexico varies on where you are. So Jalisco, which is where Guadalajara is, and Puerto Vallarta, they have the best cannabis in Mexico. And this also because of the tequila, the the area, like where the mountain ranges grow? I think a mixture of, like, the climate helps, but also just, like, they they just always have been like weed smokers. It's just very common. Yeah, like yeah. you could like I smoke on the street there. Like it's it's very common there for sure. Interesting. That region of Mexico. Um but then if you go to a place like um I'm trying to think like Cabo, for example, in Baja. Cabo, right. The cannabis is terrible. Yeah, yeah. And it's gonna cost you way too much. So the cool thing about Mexico what's interesting is, you know, the cartel, they used to be the biggest suppliers of cannabis. Right. Coming to America, right, right. what we're seeing now is the reverse. Right, right. You're seeing, I literally, you're seeing people from Mexico come here, buy up their own brands, fly back with it, and then sell weed brands, California weed, at a at an even more expensive price to some of these wealthy Mexicans because for them it's like the cool factor. Like for them, like yeah. they have they have cookies. They're like, oh yeah, I got cookies, so I'm cool amongst our amongst their friends. So like the younger generation, they smoke so much pot. The older generation, I don't know if they'll ever get over it. They're just like. The nature, the stigma, the stigma, but the sub called the sub forty crowd. Oh, they they all like I kid you not. Everyone I know, they're like smokes weed. Like, Interesting. It's, it's not even it's not even taboo anymore. It's like out Except, in the open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, and, you know that's a, that's a, that, another thing. Just how much uh, you know Mexico drinks, right? Mm-hmm. Just period. Like it's a very yeah. heavy. I mean, yeah. tequila, beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Even wine is yeah. becoming very, very big. Yeah. Uh, actually, Mexico is exporting a lot of wine now. Yeah, Valle de Guadalupe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, that that aspect of it, I think, is really interesting because I think as we are, are progressing and 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 really the amount of information. I was just listening yesterday that you know, hundred years ago the amount of uh, information had doubled. It would take a hundred years. 
every hundred years yeah. the amount of, of, of knowledge would double it would take mm-hmm. hundred years to double now it's every few weeks yeah right so like and now it's gonna get to the point where every few days mm-hmm. the amount of information we have so as we become aware of these things now you start to see the negative impacts of alcohol right and in and, and long-term studies of this even seeing how the worst rated drugs uh, they, they, they ranked them on a scale of one to a hundred and it was like uh, heroin and cocaine were mm-hmm. at a 40 and mm-hmm. it's based on how it addict, uh, affects you your body and your community mm-hmm alcohol was the highest at 70 something yeah right so as they're ranking these things he's like well what's the point of this so the younger generation is seeing that the, the health benefits just aren't there yeah whereas nothing really is negative about cannabis at least no. that we can the younger about. generation is like i i can't even like younger i'm 29 so i'm still a millennial but like the gen zers like a lot of these kids don't even drink anymore right no 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 they just like microdose mushrooms and smoke yeah. weed yeah like it's wild to me that like they like literally they literally just don't drink and i guess long term is probably good for my business but like it's crazy to think that like wow like that was the whole thing you get to college you get drunk every day and like it's just it is interesting to see how much that has changed in the last call it you know five to ten years with that younger generation who's very conscientious of what they're putting into their body oh 100 100 percent. and on that like you know what what is uh the future look like for you? What are, what, are, what are the plans? What are you excited about? What can you share? Oh, um, man, the future, I think the future is bright. Do I know what the future exactly looks like? No. I very much try to live in the present. But, like, short term and, you know, from an old power perspective, continue to expand in more and more states. The goal, obviously, is to be, I say, like, the Bud Light or PBR of cannabis. You know, we want to be in as many states as possible, eventually go abroad in North America, Mexico, Canada. And some of those markets become more friendly to um, U.S. brands. But I think, for me personally, it's just, like, continually to create opportunities for people who look like me in this industry and to show them that this can be a real career and this isn't just like you know something you just do to shoot the shit it's like no like this is like a real business we have like real P&Ls we have to like reach certain benchmarks from our investors and like a lot of that crossover is very normal like everyone on my team majority of the people don't come from cannabis originally mm-hmm. they come from various industries but that crossover is it crosses over really, you know, really seamlessly. Um, so I would just say I encourage more people who have maybe been thinking about the cannabis industry to, you know, look at look at a way to potentially get their foot in the door um, because this thing's not stopping and it's only going to continue to grow. Hmm. And the earlier you get into it, there's a joke they say is like, you know, cannabis years are like dog years. So I'm five years in this thing, so I forget the dog years terminology. Seven, seven like 35 years. So, <laughs> exactly. So I've been in this thing already almost five, and, like, it feels like a lifetime. But to think that there still is a lifetime to go and, like, seeing where we are today, seeing just the last five years, how many more states have opened up. And I look at, if you tell me, like, five years from now what it's going to look like, I, I couldn't tell you, but I know it's exciting. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, it is very exciting, and I'm excited for you and just everything you've been doing. Yeah. Um, how can people support you, follow you, subscribe to whatever you're doing? Yeah. Um, so um, you can follow me, I guess, on Instagram. My Instagram is private, but uh, maybe I'll make it public. Who knows? Ardell4, <laughs> A-R-D-E-L-L-4. Also, please follow OPAL at O-L-D-P-A-L. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Ardell Romez. Um, I guess those are the only two social media platforms. Uh I use. I'm somewhat active sometimes. Depends on uh, the the time of the month and the mood I'm in. Um, but yeah, that's how you can you know get a hold of me. And then uh, all things Opal, Opal.com, eleven states. Uh, let's see: California, Nevada, Arizona, um, Ohio, good old Illinois, Missouri. Uh, 
Pennsylvania, uh, right? Pennsylvania, Maryland, uh, New York, soon to be New Jersey. Um, I feel like I'm missing. Oh, Michigan. Um, I might be missing. A, am I missing a state? I said Arizona. Oh, New Mexico. Love New Mexico. Um, so yeah, we're yeah, and more and more to come. So more to come, super yeah. exciting, and the future is uh, bright for cannabis. It is, it is, and it sounds like it's very bright for you. So I appreciate you, Ardell. Thank you for you know sharing your story and also just being a part of this community. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.